Jesus saves. Amen. Brother Ron, I love you, brother. And more than I love your, <clears throat> your singing and your passion, man, I love your heart. And I love your, your joy of leading your family. That was beautiful. Have a son in seminary. <clears throat> Jesus saves. Amen. Um, to say <clears throat> that this is not hard because of all the emotions I feel right now. <clears throat> it's good to be home. Good to be with mom and dad, grandparents and family. People that uh, I've had the privilege of knowing my whole life. Being together with brothers and sisters in Christ. Preaching at a church that when I was a 17 year old dummy. That's a Greek word I think that was kind enough with a pastor that was kind enough to give a young, a young man the privilege and the opportunities to preach. <clears throat> it's, it's hard <clears throat> to get all of the words out that you want because of the gratitude that you feel 21 years later. <clears throat> yeah, that's right, 21 years later. I cannot put it into words. It's just, it's a joy to be here, and it's a joy to be a part of this. Um, thank you, Dad. Okay, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I surrendered to ministry, as I said, in 1998. I preached my first sermon in June of that year at First Baptist Church, Magnolia, Arkansas, where I had the privilege of growing up my whole life, being a part of the Columbia Association, churches like Brister Baptist Church, after that first message that were faithful to call and ask me to fill their pulpits, pastors for youth Sundays or Sunday nights or just, just whenever the pulpit needed to be supplied. And I love... Preaching. I wasn't very good at it then. I wasn't very wise in what the calling of a pastor preacher should look like. And I made a lot of mistakes. And even at my worst, and when people knew me at my worst, I was even worse than that. And that's why we're thankful for grace and the fact that Jesus saves. And, and that we as preachers never get beyond the gospel because we're not capable of moving beyond the gospel. It's everything we, we hold to and it's everything we know to be sacred because what we preach is what we know that we're being redeemed by daily. And that is the joy of, of preaching is that we get to testify of the graces that we not only have been given but are being given and look forward to being completed in on that glorious and final moment when Christ comes stepping in the clouds to receive us all and to give us the new bodies and the new names and all the things we long for. And that's why this ministry is so important because we preach and teach things that angels look upon gloriously. And so this ministry is a sacred calling. This ministry is something that deserves the attention and the due diligence and the study that we've heard about already with Brother Gary O'Neill last night, looking at those qualifications of a pastor, elder, bishop, overseer, reminding us as men and as church members as well that we're to pursue healthy pulpits and healthy pastors 
And then as Brother Rocky Maddox preached to us last night about the need of being separate from the world in all of these matters, it was a powerful message reminding us again that that what the church talks about is often what its pastor is committed to preaching and teaching. And so this ministry is important. And, And don't take me wrong, if you're a lay person... Believe me, this is what I want to say to you. I am of the notion that all of us have a ministry. I am. I don't don't merely see vocational ministry as the only ministry we're to aspire to. I think all of us have a ministry. Besides filling pulpits and pastoring and leading a church, I'm I'm a husband to Jessica. This July will be 17 years that we've been married by God's grace. In those 17 years, he's blessed us with six, nearly seven children. July is right after we, or right before we have our anniversary. Lord willing, we'll have baby number seven, Hattie Renee Goodwin, will be welcomed into this world. And God's blessed us. And so as a husband, I am, I am Jessica's leader. I care for her. As a father to Kennedy, to Cooper, Delaney, Wyatt, Avery, Knox, and Baby Hattie, I'm to be a faithful example and a disciple of their souls and to love and care for them. As a, as a great wife, Jessica has a ministry of ministering to me. And all pastors, preachers will tell you of the importance of the pastor's wife in being faithful ministers to our soul. They hold us accountable. They give us grace. Maybe even slap us around when we need it. Right? When we're showing self-pity. She's a great mom who dedicates herself to teaching our children, to loving our children, and to ministering to our children. We all have ministries. Maybe you're ministering to a small group or Sunday school class. Maybe you're ministering to people at your job that you have coffee with and lunch with and all these types of things. We have ministry, but this ministry that we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 is a specific ministry of the gospel. It is a specific ministry where God calls men. He places in them a desire to be heralds and messengers of this glorious word that we've been given. He raises them up. In churches just like this one. Surrounds them with brothers and sisters in Christ who disciple them and love them and teach them. And he sends them out so that they can tell others this glorious message of truth and grace. This ministry is a ministry that cannot be underestimated, especially today. And it cannot be overstated how important it is that this ministry be what the church understands to be of vital importance. Not only in the life of its pastor, but in the life of of what the church seeks to do. This ministry must be of great importance. And in all the programizing and all the systematizing that the church finds itself doing quite often, we never move beyond this ministry of the gospel. And we must be reminded of this. I'm preparing to speak and to preach this morning or today. This chapter of Corinthians jumped out while I was reading and I thought immediately, I think this is is what the Lord would have me to to preach from and I sent it to dad and he he said, That's, that looks pretty good. I think you can do that. So, so this is where we are because in my heart, this ministry needs to be highlighted and it needs to be understood and explained as, as well as Paul does it here in this fourth chapter of 2 Corinthians. Now, there's some back story that we need to know just a little bit just so we can, we, can, we can begin here in chapter 4, we understand Paul's situation with the church at Corinth. We know that this letter labeled 2 Corinthians may very well have been his third or even fourth letter to the church there. 
It's a complicated relationship that Paul has with this church at Corinth. They're a church that's they're a difficult church because they're an ordinary church. I mean, they, they have ordinary people in their pews, people dealing with sin, people dealing with this idea of living separate from the world, people dealing with all the frustrations that all of our church people and even we ourselves deal with on a day-to-day, weekly basis. The church in Corinth is, is extraordinary because it's ordinary. It is. Uh, if we think the church at Corinth is any worse than the churches we find ourselves in, then I, I think we're mistaken in a lot of ways. They're dealing with issues of leadership and dealing with the issues of giftedness and dealing with the issues of how we work out this ministry that, that we've all been given. And, and Paul has to write to them, correcting them and rebuking them, instructing them and loving them in every way that he can as a faithful apostle, but also as a faithful preacher and teacher of the word. And here in this second letter, what we consider the second letter, 2 Corinthians, it's a more positive letter than the first, right? If you're familiar with 1 Corinthians, it's a more positive letter than the first, but there's also some things that still need to be worked out and some things that Paul wants to defend for himself, like we all want to do from time to time, right, preachers? We want to defend our, our methods, we want to defend our our words and and things of that nature. But most importantly, we want to make sure that even in the midst of defending ourselves sometimes that we make it clear that we're not defending ourselves because we value ourselves, but we want to make sure that what we're doing is saturated and filled by the Word of God and His Spirit. And so Paul wants to defend himself by pointing this out, that this ministry that he has been given by God, not only as an apostle, but as a minister of this precious new covenant, this covenant of grace that that far surpasses any old covenant, that far surpasses any Abrahamic covenant or any Mosaic covenant or any Davidic covenant. This new covenant is a better covenant to preach and to teach and to testify of and for Because it is a testament of righteousness and grace clearly seen in the person and work of Christ. And so, we get to this fourth chapter and we read beginning with verse 1 these words. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry... As we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For behold, for God, excuse me, for God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, Cast down but not destroyed, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death works in us, but life in you. We having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed, and therefore I have spoken. We also believe, and therefore speak, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus. 
and shall present us with you for all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might, through the thanksgiving of many, rebound to the glory of God, for which cause we faint not. But through our outward man perish, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal Weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. May God bless the reading of His Word. And all His people said, Amen. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, Lord, we ask that You would give us ears to hear eyes to see, minds and hearts to understand what your word has for us. Father, we pray that as we dedicate ourselves to your word, that the Spirit would work by the word to work in us what you would have the word to produce. That we would all be faithful, obedient, loving people of the gospel, seeking to honor you not merely with our lips, but with our whole lives always. Lord, may we as ministers Realize the precious gift that we have been given and never, ever, 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 ever take for granted this ministry. And may our churches hold us accountable and lift us up in prayer and dedicate themselves to this ministry as well. Father, be with us and we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. I love that Paul begins this section the way that he does with this understanding of this ministry. This ministry that he has previously talked about already in the third chapter where he says in verse 6, verses 4 through 6 of the third chapter, "...and such trust we have through Christ to Godward, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything is of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God." who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. This is the ministry that he's talking about. This ministry of the Word of God, the Gospel, when he says this ministry. This is the ministry we've been given. We are ministers of this new covenant. Ministers of the glorious Gospel as it's made clear through the personal work of Christ. That's what we've been given by mercy. And that we have to understand the value of this great gift. It is a spirit-filled, grace-motivated gift. Godward to us. It comes from God to us ministers to be faithful to this word. Steve Lawson, a preacher I enjoy hearing from time to time, has said recently in an interview or something else that the problem with preachers today is that not enough people want to kill us. And I think that's true. I think it's true. I don't think that enough people want to kill us today because of our boldness and unceasing dedication to preach this new covenant. I think, I think there's a few preachers out there who haven't, who haven't you know, thrown in the towel completely. You know, they, they're not... I mean, the, the bad guys are easy to identify, okay? We don't, we don't have to go, if, if I, do I need to name names or are we good? We know who the bad guys are, do we? You're like Osteen, Copeland, all those guys. You know they're terrible, right? I mean, they're trash. Okay. Uh, again, that's a Greek word. You can look it up. Uh, the, the, the people that concern me, though, are the guys that give lip service to the things we know to be bad, but they're not very good at ministering the new covenant, You know what I mean? They don't make the gospel as explicit as they should. They kind of soft pedal it a little bit. They, 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 they don't really talk about the separation from sin. or They don't really talk about the pursuit of holiness in the life of the believer. They don't give people this understanding that we as children of God are dedicated not only to the ministry of the word, but to living respectively as husbands, as wives, as children, as all of these things so that we can influence the world and influence those around us positively through the gospel. People don't need our morals, they need our gospel. 
And if they have our gospel, they will rightly reflect our morals. But you can't get the cart before the horse. And so often we get that mixed up. And so, so when we talk about being ministers of the word in this ministry, we want to make sure that our boldness is in the gospel. It's in the new covenant, New Testament that we believe and preach. And, and, and again, Paul, understand when he says New Testament, it just doesn't mean Matthew through Revelation. I mean, he means the new covenant. He means the full story of redemption as revealed to the person and work of Christ. New, new Testament hasn't been fully written when Paul writes these words. So we have to understand what he means. But this is the ministry that we've been given to make clear what is the gospel and that we do not faint. I love that he says this in the first one. We do not faint. And he's going to come back to this, that we do not faint. We do not lose heart because of the assurance that we have in the faithfulness of what we minister. That's what I love about this ministry. And we'll see this throughout this chapter, that this ministry is not something that that ever fades away. Though we are dying, it, does, it never fades away because the eternal promises of what we preach are never fading. It's pretty impressive. So how do we get there? How do we get to a right knowledge of not losing heart in this ministry because we are holding fast to the eternal promises? How do we get there? Well, that's what... Paul wants us to understand. So, so now let's, let's really get in. Here, right off the bat, he says something to the church at Corinth that's really important for us to say today and us to realize as ministers and in churches that our responsibility to this new covenant means that we trust in the sufficiency of Scripture to fulfill and to do the work of the new covenant. We don't have to buy into fads. We don't have to buy into gimmicks. And we don't have to buy into the latest church growth guru nonsense to accomplish what only the Word of God can accomplish. So Paul says, But we have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty and not walking in craftiness, not handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Listen, preacher, church, you don't have to soft-pedal the gospel and you don't have to, to be attractional and sell out to these things just to get people to come in. Because your job is not to get people in the doors. Your job is to be faithful to the gospel. Amen. And God will accomplish what He promises as long as people are faithful to the gospel. Because that's how God works. We'll see that in just a second. But God works through the Word by the Spirit. Ties always work. He doesn't need our craftiness or cleverness. He doesn't need our gimmicks or, or our deceitfulness to accomplish what only He can accomplish. And this is what we must trust in. Don't trust in your programs. Trust in the Word of God. But what about the church across the street? Hey, listen. Listen, here's... I tell dad this. I believe in church autonomy so much that I believe churches have the right to be wrong. Okay? They got the right to be wrong. Doesn't make them good. They got the right to be wrong. But you don't have to buy into their wrongness because we're not competing against churches. We're ministers and churches of the gospel. If they're going to be unfaithful, let them be unfaithful. But you don't worry about it. You hold your church and your people accountable to sticking to the new Testament to the new covenant that we've been called to minister. Don't worry about those guys. Pray for them. Do. Pray for them. Pray for them from your pulpit that they'll repent and they'll see the error of their ways and that they'll do what's necessary. But Paul makes it clear and maybe even giving a defense of himself. He's telling the church at Corinth, listen, I didn't come preaching to you that way. I'm not a huckster of the gospel. I'm not some peddler of some false truth or false teaching merely because I wanted a paycheck from you guys. No, I came preaching to you the clear word of God, calling you to repentance and faith through the gospel and the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. We don't have to give ourselves to anything that's dishonest or man-made or anything of that nature, because we trust in the gospel. And of course, Paul is faithful to say, but I know what you're going to say. But what about those who aren't believing, Paul? What, shouldn't we do what we can to, to, to get them to see these things? And he says, look, if, if they're hid, if they're not able to see, it's because they've been blinded by their unbelief and by the devil. They're lost. 
Well, that's what we're worried about, Paul. Yes, but you have to understand. You're not going to win them to Christ by your craftiness. You're not going to win them to Christ by your cunning. You're going to win them to Christ the same way that you were won to Christ because God manifested His light in the midst of your dark heart. How do I know that, Paul? Because that's what He's always done. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And God said, let there be light. God works through the Word by the Spirit to bring light into dark places. He's done it from the very beginning, and that's what He does today. And that's exactly what Paul says when he gets to the end of this section. He says, "...in whom the God of this world blinded their eyes." They can't see the glorious gospel. They can't, they can't believe it because they're unbelieving. They're lost. But Paul makes it clear this is why we don't preach ourselves. This is why we don't preach our personalities. It's why we don't fall into these gimmicks because the only thing that's going to save them is the same thing that has saved people always. God commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The reason we don't fall into this trap of preaching personalities, preaching ourselves, is because the only thing that will save people is the gospel. I cannot save you. And as Spurgeon and both Moody, it's interesting that both Spurgeon and Moody have, have a very similar account of, of course, Charles Spurgeon, the, the great preacher of London, Moody, the great preacher of Chicago, is where he's based out of it everywhere. Both of, 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 there's anecdote stories told of both of them that while Moody's walking down the street of Chicago one time and Spurgeon on the street of London, that both of them stumbled across men who, who grabbed them by the lapel or whatever and said, Mr. Spurgeon, Mr. Moody, don't you recognize me? I'm one of your converts. And of course, on both occasions, the men reeked of alcohol and everything else. And Spurgeon and Moody are both reported as of saying, likewise, to the man, you must be one of my converts because you're certainly not one of Christ's. Pastor churches, if you're wondering why the people in your pews don't appear to be converts of Christ, maybe it's because they're converts of you or your church, but not the gospel. Paul says that the only way that people can really come out of their darkness into the glorious light is by the preaching of the glorious gospel of Christ because it's the only thing that gives the knowledge of salvation, true salvation, that shines in the hearts of all people. So when you're preaching, you preach Christ, and you preach Him crucified, and you preach Him buried, and you preach Him resurrected, and you preach Him coming again in bodily form. Because this is what gives light. This is the light that speaks into the darkness. This is what transforms people because this ministry is not ours. We do not preach ourselves, as Paul says in verse 5. We do not preach ourselves because we are incapable of doing any of these things. And the reminder that we are incapable of saving, that we're incapable of making anything about us, is because, as verse 7, we're earthen vessels. I preach from time to time with, with George, my George Whitfield tie. Do you know where George Whitfield is today? He's dead. Do you know where his preaching partner John Wesley is today? He's dead too. And the other guy that would preach with him, Jonathan Edwards, dead. There's a lot of faithful ministers of the gospel who are dead. And you know what? I'm going to die too. And all of us in here, unless the Lord returns, will meet the same fate. It's a sobering idea. Nobody gets excited about this point. But it is the truth. All of us are going to die if the Lord tarries his coming. We will all meet the same fate. This should remind us as ministers and as church people two things. Number one, then, we better get to work. Because we don't know the day or the hour. Christ is appointed unto man once to die, and then the judgment. And he knows our days, he's numbered them. He, he knows our birth and our death, and he has it all figured out. He knows the hairs on our head and everything else. But we don't know these things. 
And we certainly don't look in the stars or in the papers or magazine to find them out. We trust the Scripture and we stick to it. And so we're diligent to teach and to do these things because we don't know the day or the hour and that there are lost people in darkness that need to be illuminated by the gospel. So we have this sense of urgency. But the second thing that it reminds us of is why we can be humble in all these things because we're not going to live on this earth for forever. We all are passing and fading away. And I imagine when I said the name George Whitfield, some of you may have even said, Who? Or maybe when I said Wesley, your first thought was like the Methodist guy. And there's many other names that we could name that maybe you know, maybe you don't, of guys who've been faithful ministers of this gospel. I'd like to think that some of the most faithful, diligent, godly men are some of the most unknown, most unknown men. They pastor churches in places where nobody ever knew them. They never wrote books or pamphlets or had a podcast or their own network or whatever. But Lord's Day after Lord's Day, they stood in yes. pulpits just like this. Yes. And they ministered the new covenant. Yes. They preached the glorious gospel to people. They married people. They buried people. They stayed. And no one will ever know their names. But the Lord blessed their ministries. We're earthen vessels. We're not going to live forever. But the beauty of the gospel is that it is eternal. And this is the great paradox. And it's the paradox that Paul himself even felt. What does he say in the very next verse? Look at us. Consider we're troubled. On every side, distressed. Not perplexed, in despair, persecuted, per se, not forsaken, cast down, not destroyed. We, we, maybe you know this. this is, these are good verses. They, they even from time to time appear on Christian t-shirts and coffee mugs. We like these verses. They make us feel good. Troubled on every side, not distressed, persecuted, not despair. But Paul's, Paul's pointing out the paradox of all of these things, right? The two, the two things that, that drive us as preachers and, and church people that we understand that in a fallen world, we feel the pressures of, of sin, of Satan, of the world. We feel the pressures of everyday life. We feel the busyness. How busy are we today? Is it not ridiculous? I don't remember life being this busy when I was eight and had no worries. But as an adult with several children, enough of which we have to have a church van to get us from point A to point B... For free, not free rentals. We'll charge you rent if you want to use it sometime. Anyway, we, we're always going and we're so driven by time and places. Maybe, maybe that you know, you're here today and you can only make it for this and you've got to leave. And we gotta, we're always busy and this is the busyness of life. This is the, this paradox that we feel constantly of always being on the move and yet never really arriving. Of course, Paul was persecuted, distressed, and all these things for, for his commitment to these new covenant principles and things. I mean, people wanted to kill him, and they did. Uh, the fear and the, the pressures that he felt, they really pale in comparison to ours, don't they, if we're honest? Shipwrecked beaten, stoned, and left for dead. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. And, and I love that he says this, because here's the glorious aspect of the gospel, that Christ's willingness to submit to a death that he didn't deserve is what frees me from the death that I am inevitably going to suffer. I mean, that's, that's an amazing idea. That while I am dying, 
My only hope is because Christ willingly died and yet didn't stay dead, but gladly rose from the grave in defeat of the death that I will inevitably suffer. And listen, death, death is sobering and it needs to be. I think as Christians, we, we try to move on from this reality of death way too quickly. Death is a sign of sin. And it's the wages of sin. It's the payment of it. And all the things that lead to death. I mean, they're, they're terrible things. It's terrible to suffer from cancer. It's terrible to suffer from Alzheimer's and dementia. It's terrible to suffer in the way that we've seen loved ones and friends suffer until they die. It's not good. It's the reality of the sin that is in us and around us and that we're prayerfully anticipating God to fully annihilate one day. And we get a small glimpse of of the power of Christ in the gospel that He can even take the death of His saints and make it a joyous occasion because we don't have to fear it ultimately. We may fear dying, but we don't fear death because we know that death was defeated through the death and resurrection of Christ. So we don't minister as hopeless men and we don't facilitate the preaching and teaching of this gospel as as hopeless churches because we know that through Christ there is still more to come. But we bear these marks. And churches bear these marks. If the Lord tarries is coming, sooner or later, Brother Eric will not be the pastor of Brister Baptist Church. And the people that are here will not be members of Brister Baptist Church. You will have moved on to a better place. And the pastors of churches that are also here. But the question is, what legacy will you leave behind? I have the privilege of pastoring a church now that is 131 years old. That's not, some, that's not even as old as some of the churches here in the Columbia Association, but that's pretty old. And you know what I delight in? I delight in the fact that we still meet on the Lord's Day and we still preach the gospel and we still do the things that 131 years ago that people in Laurel, Mississippi felt the need to organize a local church for. And if the Lord tarries is coming, the church is going to do it for another 130 years as long as we stay faithful to it and keep on doing what the Lord's called us to do. You see, I'm not under any impression that this thing hinges upon me because I know of too many men of long ago who were faithful ministers of faithful churches that simply led to the time and generation that the Lord has allowed me to live in. And when he's through with me, he'll call me home and he'll use some other knucklehead to do the same things that I'm doing. Somebody who's better looking with more hair and has more sense. Because I'm only hoping in the fact that my Savior who died and rose again is the only thing that's worth anything in me. So he says, verse 11, for which we live are always, which we who live are always, are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So while dying, we desperately and gratefully and thankfully preach this glorious gospel because it is the life-changing agent that it is, bringing life from death, light to darkness, all of these things, because so then death worketh in us, but life in you, right? This is what we're doing as ministers, we are preaching life in others even while we're in the midst of dying because we know that it is the only life-giving agent on this earth. So we having the same spirit of faith according as it is written, I believed, I, therefore I've spoken, and we also believe and therefore speak. And I love that verse 13 because it's very reminiscent of Paul's other statement in the first letter to the Corinthians when he says, Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. This is what I do because this is the only thing I know to do. This is the only thing that, that gives me hope and that gives me motivation onward is the preaching of these things because it is the only thing to hang all of life on. 
And by this preaching and commitment to these things, we are filled with the Spirit. We are united by this same faith, this oneness that we can all share in. And we dedicate ourselves to, as churches, as pastors, we dedicate ourselves to this because we know that woe to us unless we do anything else. This is it. I believed, and therefore I've spoken. And we also believe and therefore speak. I'd like to think that we preach the same message. Forgive me of this, but I'd like to think that this is the same message that even Seth, you know, the, the son of Adam, in Genesis 4 at the very end when he says, and Seth and his son Enosh, that they worshipped the Lord. You know, these are the same things that they worshipped in. The glorious truths of a God who keeps His promises. I mean, these were the same things that faithful Enoch walked in to the point that he walked no more because the Lord took him. We don't believe anything new. We believe the faith given to all the saints. That's precious. Because this is the only thing that is eternal. And this is what we hinge all of eternity on, knowing that, verse 14, which raised Jesus, raised Him up, the Lord Jesus shall raise us up also, shall present us with you for all things are for your sakes that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many rebound to the glory of God. We preach this glorious gospel through this ministry that we've been given because it is the life-giving hope agent for everyone and through it we have thanksgiving to the glory of God. That's what we do. We're thankful for it. We're thankful to be partakers in it. We're thankful to be recipients of it because this is what gives us thanks and this is what allows us to glorify God at all times. So even in our cancer, we glorify God. Even in the fact that loved ones suffer from terrible diseases, we glorify God. While our bodies are weak and these earthen vessels are passing, we can glorify God. We can do all these things at all times because we hang to a gospel and to a hope that is greater than all these things. And that's why he says again, for which cause we faint not. We don't lose heart. We're not, we're not giving up. Right? Pastor? Church? Are you giving up? Don't give up. Don't lose heart. But Jason, you don't know our situation. We're tiny. We're small. He took a couple of loaves of bread and a few fish and he fed 5,000. He took 11 men and he changed the world with their faithful witness. As long as we're faithful to be ministers of this new covenant, what are we? That's all we're called to do. And if your faithfulness leads one person to Christ where they avoid hell for all eternity, then you've done a yeoman's amount of work. Let's not be captivated by size and numbers. Let's keep be captivated by the glorious gospel and the fact that what we hang on to is worth all of eternity. We don't lose heart. Even though we're perishing, we don't lose heart because our inward man is renewed day by day. These glorious truths of the gospel is what renew us day by day. Right, guys? Ladies? Boys and girls, you're renewed day by day by the glorious truths of the gospel. By reading the word, by praying the word, singing the word, you're renewed day by day because this is what gives us hope. Because sometimes we don't feel like it, right? Church people are mean. But God is good. And he's good all the time. And so we're renewed, we're strengthened day by day. 
moment by moment in these glorious truths. This is why we never move beyond the gospel. This is why we never become gospel graduates, as Paul Tripp likes to say. We, we never move past it. We rest in it. Day by day. If you, even Cliff is here, Mr. Day by Day. Life Word, Facebook, check it out. There you go. There you, just for you, brother. Day by day, we're ministered by these glorious truths. As ministers, we're ministered so that we can then be filled with these things to deliver it to our people. People, pray for your pastor to be ministered to day by day by the Word. And be a ministering agent to your pastor when you can. And I love this. This is it. And it's so good. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. What we are storing up in heaven through faithfulness to minister this new covenant through pastors and churches is far exceedingly worth more than you can ever imagine. This is why it's worth... This is why it's worth doing things according to the Scripture and trusting in the sufficiency of Scripture and not in all the the bells and whistles of the world because what we are ministering is worth far more in the world to come. What you, when you fall into the trap of ministering by methods which are not trusting in the sufficiency of Scripture is wood, hay, and stubble and it will all burn. But yet when we minister through the sufficiency of the Scripture, trusting solely in the grace of God as it is preached and ministered to by the Word, we welcome a far exceeding weight of glory. The world wants a better message. They don't like this message. They want a message that that is about self-preservation. They want a message that is about Secular ideas of, of how we improve the lives of others through, through other things. They're worried about a message that's, that's preached that, that, that understands that we are merely passing through this world. Our, this world is not our home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's golden shore. And I don't feel at home in this world anymore. We're not worried about green deals or blue deals or anything like that because this world is fading and passing away. God has not promised a utopia here. He's promised perfection to come. This is why we hang on to things that are not seen. I've never seen the Lord. I've never seen His nail-pierced hands and feet. I've never seen his sword-pierced side. I've never seen these things. Never had any visions. Never seen heaven. I've not died and gotten a glimpse. Nor read books about those who may or may not have. I trust in the sufficiency of the word. And this is what the faithful do. We hang on to promises of things we have not seen because this is what faith is. It's the hope for things unseen and the fulfillment of all these precious promises. Standing on the promises as we sing. This is what we're doing. Because we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Pastor, preach the things that are eternal. Give your people the hope of the eternal promises of the gospel because they are the only lasting promises that we have to stand on. They are precious and they are unfading because they are the very glory of God. This ministry, this ministry is the most amazing thing that we as pastors and churches get the privilege of preaching and teaching to people. Never move past this. Never search for something else. Rest in its sufficiency. Rest Rest in its only ability to bring light from darkness. 
Rest in the fact that even while we are perishing, its ability to give life guarantees that there will be generations behind you. Don't don't question God's ability to bring up knuckle-headed people behind us because doesn't He surprise us new in every generation? Doesn't He? He's got people coming. They may not speak our language. And it may be in other places, but He has people coming because His church... It's not going to be defeated. So let us rejoice in the fact that while we're dying, we still get to preach life because the one who died in our place and for our sins has defeated all things and we have nothing to fear. And let us glory in what is eternal. Let us glory in the promises that await us. Let us build For ourselves, rewards and treasures which moth and rust cannot destroy, that people can't break in and seal. Let us be secure, not with buildings and people to flock and to pat us on our backs and to tell us how great we are, but let us rest in the fact that we have faithfully served our unseen Savior and Lord, who one day, one day we will meet face to face. And one day... Prayerfully, he will say to us, well done, my good and faithful servant. You ran the race. You finished the course. You persevered. Because you trusted in me. Heavenly Father, thank you for this ministry. Thank you that you've called men and churches and you've raised them up and you've maintained them. You've cared for them by your spirit and through the gospel in every every way. You've given us a word to stand on and to claim and to preach. Lord, we just pray that through it all we would Rest in it, that we would trust in it, that we would never worry or fail to maintain and to keep on because we know that you are always faithful. Lord, bless, bless the churches of the Columbia Association and all the other churches that are represented here. Bless the pastors and the ministers and the preachers who are here. Lord, I pray that revival would indeed break out in and through these churches as they preach and minister this word. That, Lord, you would renew them day by day. That you would renew them Lord's day to Lord's day through the faithful preaching of the word. And that lives would be changed and souls would be saved because of the glorious gospel that is preached and that is taught faithfully in these churches. Lord, encourage the the broken pastor. Encourage the the hurting church through your word and by your spirit to keep going on. Thank you for our time together. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.